Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, July the 12th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A, proper week 10, which is the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Wednesday of the week, we like to take a look at one of the extra passages that belong to this week from the Revised Common Lectionary and this week of the church's calendar year. And so many options abound uh, for this week. We're going to go to the Old Testament prophetic text, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. There will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of God for us. So just as a side note, this is the location of where the famous international church Hillsong with all their music and uh, popularity, this is where it comes from. Uh, it comes from Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah 55. And so um, obviously Hillsong's fallen on some hard times lately. There's actually a decent little documentary out on Hulu that talks about some of the issues. Hopefully they can put their heads together and for the sake of their community um, find a way to repair it, to reconcile, and to keep on trying to follow the way of Jesus. But um, in context in Isaiah 55, this is actually towards the end of a big, large section that happens to start earlier in Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah here is alerting the people about the news of what's going to happen in world events. So if you can be reminded of our Old Testament time period, 587, 586 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to Jerusalem. They smashed it. They carried people off into exile. This is the backstory of uh, Daniel and his friends when they get hauled off to Babylon. And if you're familiar with Daniel, you know that uh, Babylon comes on some hard times themselves. And Cyrus, king of Persia, comes in and he decimates the Babylonian empire. And Isaiah saw this as an important moment that if Babylon can fall to defeat, and perhaps there's an open opportunity for Israel to uh, flee from captivity and exile and to return back home to Jerusalem. And so there is a key change in the book of Isaiah. Uh, after um, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, there is this uh, key change where there's now hope that's going to begin to emerge for the people of God all the way to the end. And so that's why there's this tenor of hope. Uh, maybe it's like E minor for the first several chapters of Isaiah. And now it's like maybe that, that sweet, you know, C chords or, or the key of G or something where there's this more of a pleasant, uh, upbeat song and the people of God begin to imagine a better future, right? So this, you know, this gets into a larger conversation about how do the faithful people of God, how do we, you know, 
wait on God and know our future and count on our future, even though like we can't circle a date on the calendar when all this stuff's going to happen. Like, how can we be postured towards God's ultimate transformation of all things, the renewal of all things, the mending of the universe? How do we reconcile that with the current task of today and living in zip codes that would belong to and seeing uh, profound challenges for our own communities? And how do we engage? And I, th- I think we've had uh, Christians from all over the spectrum of this topic. They uh, choose to completely remove themselves from any the earthly activity. They might call it worldly to even give it a, a dirtier term, right? And uh, they just said, you know, what? the world's just going to, you know, unravel as it will, but God's got our future. And even to the point where some people think that we're going to be taken from this time space continuum to a different one to live in that ultimate legacy and destiny with God, right? And you have others who are politically motivated. Um, there are several key political movements, uh, either at the very center or at the edges of key political movements that are that were deeply religious, deeply Christian, right? I think of Desmond Tutu and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in uh, South Africa um, after apartheid came down. Desmond Tutu, a churchman, a follower of Jesus, uh, because of his teachings, that he, that the teachings of Jesus, sat people down, those who offended and those who were offended, like with like massive killings. Like there would be a murder on one side of the table and the family of the loved one murdered on the other side of the table. And these folks did the hard work of saying, uh, the best way to repair our world is to confess and to extend forgiveness. And um, that was spurred on by uh, the testimony of Jesus, right? And so what, what what do we do? Like, how do we look at world events and our current plight, but also the ultimate future? Like, how do we not get bogged down with uh, what's happening in the here and now? But how do we, like, be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? Because I think some people are counting on us to have some earthly good, right? I mean, I'm recording from the United States of America. Polling continues to show that uh, the overwhelming majority of people in this country are Christian, right? Um, it's probably less and less um, as we go on. But nevertheless, like people are committed to Christianity. And therefore, if we're going to govern as a people, I think uh, those who want to see some changes in our world are counting on the church to find a way to be faithful and involved at the same time. I just continue to think about Karl Barth uh, and his little saying, hopefully it's attributed to him. It's one that I've heard it's from. He said, you know, to be faithful, you got to have a, a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, right? So we've got to uh, meditate on how God historically has been rescuing humanity, what he called salvation history. And then we've got to think about, okay, how does that correlate and overlap? And where do we hear whispers and echoes of that in the world around us? Um, there's a lot of great books out there. That could help inform us about what a Christian-shaped politics might look like. I think for some of us, we need to be challenged, right? Some of us, like, we are way too deep into every political headline these days. And it's almost like politics is a drug. Like, we can't get enough, right? And we can't wait to do the whataboutisms with people around us. And then I think some of us, like, we just have this great disdain. Like, we just throw up our hands and say, ugh, I don't want to even talk about politics. Well, like, in its truest form, politics is the science of getting along with one another. And... Jesus did just have a private ethic. He had a public ethic. And Martin Luther King Jr., who was steeped in the teachings of Jesus, he believed in a public ethic of love, right? So if there's one thing that Christians can offer the world is to be the people of love that help to shape the world around us. And so maybe like Isaiah, we've got to take a look at the signs of the times and not like read into them and try to make dates and try to like do some interesting gymnastics with biblical promises and prophecies about the future. 
But it might be just starting to say, like to say something that N.T. Wright uh, said many times when he was Bishop of Durham and he went from church to church in the northeast of England. He would say, like, the kingdom of God simply can be defined as what does it look like if God is in charge? And uh, maybe we should start saying that about uh, a few square miles around us. Like, what would be different if God was in charge? Or because God in charge, I see these things happening in the world around me and it's good news, right? So just starting with that question, what would it be look like? What would it look like if God was in charge? Um, Isaiah, so many centuries ago, said uh, there's going to be good news. Um, there's going to be restoration. There's going to be hope. Um, there's going to be singing in the hills and the mountaintops because this is going to be a day of reckoning for Babylon. It's going to be a day of freedom for God's people, and this is good news. And so, uh, brother and sister in Christ, uh, these are interesting waters to navigate. Um, quagmires on every side and in the extremities of this topic. But we're called to faithfulness, not just faithfulness of waiting for that great day for the restoration of all things, but also faithfulness in the here and now. So with all the biblical imagination that we can have hand in hand with the people of God and hopefully seeking the common good for the world around us, may we be like Isaiah who stands and sees and begins to wonder what good news might look like for our future and for our present. So with those things in mind, let's pray to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we rejoice in who you are today. We thank you that you're the God of history. Uh, you have a salvation history plan. You've been mending the universe, and we thank you that that is seen so vividly in and through Jesus Christ and the work that is done in his name. We thank you that we've become beneficiaries of such a great salvation. And so as we now look out into our world and we try to figure out what to do next uh, with all the things that swirl around and the dizzying effect of the world around us, uh, people in extreme blessing, alongside people in extreme poverty, um, the confusion that oftentimes will plague us as a church where we can't figure out which way to go next. We just say that you, we are in your loving care and your, your loving embrace. And so as we seek to be those who bear witness to the continual resurrection power of Jesus, we pray that you would help to inform us and our communities about what resurrection power looks like in our particular zip codes. And so we pray for um, those who serve in our communities, first responders, we pray for those who um, have civic duties, those who work with uh, city leaders and town leaders on the governing issues in order to help lift people from their plight and to help stoke the common good for the world around us. And we just pray that you might find the church faithful, uh, that we'd be eager to help our neighbors and to love our neighbors, to also love and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But ultimately, would you empower us to bear witness to the coming King and to be signposts and to make notice about what that world is going to look like when the whole universe is mended. So today, with all the opportunities that we have, God, we pray that you would empower us to bear witness to his name. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.